Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I've chosen The Shanghai Secret from Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. The series ran on Mutual from July 1947 to February of 1948. All 35 episodes are written by Gil Dowd and Robert Tallman. The duo began the writing part partnership with The Adventures of Sam Spade, contributing a total of 19 scripts to the popular detective series. Elliot Lewis starred as Philip Carney, master of the Scarlet Queen, the proudest ship to plow the sea. Lewis was one of the medium's great renaissance men, working as an actor, writer, director, and producer. His long and storied career spanned multiple decades through the golden age of radio, into the television era, and back to radio again during the brief revival of radio drama in the 1970s. Although each episode of Voyage of the Scarlet Queen works as a standalone story, the first 20 episodes are connected by a larger narrative— the search for Kang's treasure. Multi-episode story arcs are par for the course in today's television landscape, but they were much less common during the golden age of radio. Captain Carney opened each episode with an excerpt from the ship's log. This narrative device, along with the program's structure of a new destination each week, led some enthusiastic fans to claim Voyage of the Scarlet Queen was Gene Roddenberry's inspiration for Star Trek. Some websites go so far as to state this as a fact, but according to our research, there's no tangible evidence to suggest a direct connection between the two shows. And now let's listen to The Shanghai Secret from Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, first broadcast July 3rd, 1947. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speakers, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Scarlet Queen. Position, 123 degrees 8 minutes west, 37 degrees 31 minutes north. Gyro compass course, 237. Wind, fresh. Sky, fair. Remarks, cleared port of San Francisco at 2.30 p.m. Sailing delayed 19 hours due to death of first officer. Cause of death, the Shanghai secret. I stood there on the pier that evening, the ache in my frame reminding me that the last long, hard day of loading stores was behind me, and watched a China-bound freighter feeling her way out into the fog-shrouded harbor. The Scarlet Queen nudged her fenders against the dock right below me. 
Her bright work shining like costumed jewelry, even in the failing light. She was beautiful in her new white paint. And she was mine, all 78 feet of her. She rose and fell, just a little, delicately. Lifting the carved wood figure under her bowsprit out of the shadows now and then. A fresh, young body, looking forward. Bold, teasing, dressed in only a crown and painted brilliant red. The Scarlet Queen. The woman my own particular world revolved around. But that gray San Francisco evening wasn't cut out for romance between man and lacquered wood. I didn't hear him as he walked up behind me, but it didn't take me long to pick up the odor of a jail cell after he opened his mouth. You, Philip Carney? Yeah, that's right. I'm Kessel, San Francisco homicide. You know a man named David R. Malone? Yeah, he's my chief mate. What'd he do? He died. Come on, you got a date at headquarters. Wait a minute. It's a little sudden on a full stomach. What happened to him? The books are going to call it murder by a person or persons unknown. Homicide wants to know you better. And so Mutual begins The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. Scarlet Queen, broadest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry into the log. And every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Your last name first and middle initial. Carney Philip M. Age? 29. Height? Six, two and a half. Weight? Two hundred and seven. Eyes blue, hair brown. Scars or other identifying marks? Yeah, tattoo. A three-strand Turk's head on my right bicep. A what? A three-strand Turk's head at the knot, you know. Or does somebody else tie your shoelaces? Castle, I'm getting awful sick of this. Shut up and answer the question. Address? The Catch Scarlet Queen. Street number? Street number? How... Pier 48, birth to Embarcadero, not permanent. That'll be enough for now, O'Brien. That might be a pretty permanent address at that, Connie. Not with me paying the rent. I got my port clearance and I'm leaving tomorrow. Maybe you are, Connie. How long had you known Malone? Since, uh, oh, about five days. Not about, Connie. How long? Five days. I signed him on five days ago. Uh-huh. When'd you see him last? Exactly. Uh, between 12.30 and 1 this afternoon, I saw his stern end going around the warehouse at Pier 48. He turned to the right, exactly. He went to room 218, the Crown Hotel on Columbus Avenue, the North Beach section. Why? Because he's human, I suppose. They build hotels for people to go into. He didn't look human when we found him. Look, Kessel. I don't know anything about it. I'm sorry Malone's dead. He was a nice guy. But that's all I can give you. If you want an alibi, I've got four seamen who loaded stores with me all day. That'll carry me to the time you tap me on the shoulder. What do you want, a halo? <laughs> That's all right, it's all right. Just don't get sore, Connie. Hey, you want a cigarette? No, thanks. All I want is a cab back to the Embarcadero. On you. Sure, sure, we'll take care of it. Just a couple more questions. Oh, huh? stop. That patience act fits you about like a bare midriff evening gown. Take it off, get comfortable. Thanks, Connie, I will. What could Malone have learned on your Scarlet Queen that somebody would go to a lot of trouble to get out of him? 
What are you talking about, Kessel? Malone was tortured, that's what I'm talking about, for a good long time, and then somebody slipped or lost their temper. He didn't know anything. He didn't know why $50,000 was deposited in your name last year? I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, Barrett, bring Funston in. The name Funston rang just a faint bell for me, but I recognized the little guy they brought in all right. If there was anybody who knew about my banking business, he did. He worked there in the assistant cashier's office. Down there, he was just another face looking at you through rimless glasses. Here, he looked like trouble. Mr. Funston, is this the man you say received that $50,000 letter of credit? I'm sorry, Mr. Carney, but the police, you know. Uh, Yes, sir, he's the man. Remind me to bank someplace else next time. That's all, Mr. Funston. Thank you. I... I hope you understand, Mr. Carney. I had to answer the... Cast off, Funston. I'll thank you later. You guys have got long noses, haven't you? Yeah. When things smell as rotten as this. It was deposited in the San Francisco Bank while you were in China with the Marines. Where are you getting this, Kessel? It was sent over as a letter of credit from a firm in Shanghai called Kang and Son. Most of it went to a local shipyard where your Scarlet Queen was built and to a flock of coast companies for your cargo. 50,000 mystery dollars, Carney. And a voyage to nowhere. I won it in a crap game, and my articles say Honolulu. Ah, Honolulu. With enough stores aboard for a two-year cruise? Who do you think you're kidding, Connie? Why don't you talk? Why don't you get tired? You're pumping a lot of bilge flush. You're bluffing your heart out, and you know it. All right, Connie, you can go. It's about time. But uh, you'll be at Pier 48 when we want you. What do you mean by that? The Coast Guard's a cooperative outfit. Your port clearance has been revoked until this is cleaned up. I'll, uh, call you when I want you again. I would have traded places with any engine room hand on any Great Lakes ore ship after I left Kessel. And I hate fresh water almost as much as I hate engine rooms. Kang had warned me when I signed with him in Shanghai. The opposition, he called him. An octopus with a body in an office building in Hong Kong... A brain called Constantino and the tentacles groping across the world for the prize Kang was sending me after. A $10 million prize somewhere in the South Pacific. Its exact location was Kang's secret. And Constantino was ready to bribe, steal, or murder to get that secret. I didn't know who his San Francisco tentacle was, but I did know that it had killed Malone. I knew that he'd been tortured for something even I didn't know the true destination of the Scarlet Queen. It was 7.30 by the time I got back to the Queen. I checked her mooring lines, went into my cabin, poured myself two quick, stiff drinks, and started to clean a 45 automatic I'd gotten out of the habit of wearing. If Constantino's machine had gone into operation, I figured it might be a healthy habit to get back into. I had it stripped and spread out on my desk. And that's when I met Gallagher. Big Red Gallagher. Hello, Skipper. Who the devil are you and how'd you get aboard? I wanted to talk to you. I'm Red Gallagher. Where's my gangway watch? He's got orders. Nobody aboard. He tried, Skipper. Don't blame him. But you know how it is. I wanted to talk to you. He didn't have to explain. He held up a hand about the size of a fielder's glove and rubbed the knuckles as if they were bruised. He didn't have to say any more. He was about my size, wearing a shapeless, stained white duck officer's cap, faded dungarees, and a jumper with the sleeves rolled up. His face was heavy-featured, but not flat. 
his eyes gray and set off by crow's feet wrinkles and squinting into the sun. And they were laughing at me. But no harm done, Skipper. He hasn't hurt bad. Maybe he wasn't big enough to put you over the side. Now, huh? wait a minute, Skipper. Take it easy. We'll just bust up a lot of furniture and lose a lot of skin that way. Don't be so jumpy. All right, unload in a hurry and get out of here, then. What do you want? I hear you're looking for a new chief mate, and I want to sign on. Where did you hear I was looking for a new chief mate? I got a friend at the mall. He keeps me abeam of these things. Uh-huh. Is the rest of the story for sale? What story, Skipper? Is there something I should know? I don't like your trim, Gallagher. Maybe it's because you think you can get a berth after knocking my crewman around. Maybe it's because I think you're lying in your teeth. Either way, I wouldn't get into a dory with you. Wait a minute, Skipper. I was made for this trip. I know that South Pacific. How do you know where I'm going? Maybe that scarlet beauty under your bowsprit whispered to me. You're too nosy for me, Gallagher. Get your sea boots off this ship. I'm manned and loaded and ready to shove as soon as I get clearance. When do you think that'll be, Skipper? What do you mean by that? There you go, getting jumpy again. That was a civil question. I just wanted to know how long, that's all. It'll be as quick as I can make it. Yeah. I guess I can't blame you for that, but maybe it'll be long enough for me to try again. You need me on this ship, Skipper. I've lived a long time without you. Keep your eye on the newspaper shipping columns, Gallagher. That's as close as you'll come to my sailing. After he left, I reassembled the 45, checked my naval code on the disposition and effects of deceased seamen, and started to get Malone's gear together. In the pocket of one of his coats, I found a match folder from the Gorgonio, a bar advertising pre-war liquor and continuous entertainment. On the inside, somebody had written a name, Helen. And a number that straightened me up like a right to the chin. It was 218, the number of the murder room at the Crown Hotel. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, I was at the Gorgonio. It was a typical non-tourist North Beach bar. Good, healthy fisherman up from Fisherman's Wharf. Three women at the bar, and one sitting at the electric organ up on a platform. None of them had Helen printed on their backs, but the only one whose name anyone would bother writing down was the girl making with the music. Honey-colored hair with a gardenia over the left ear. White shoulders pushing out of the whiter gown. A face full of confidence in the rest of it. And no wonder. After I finished my drink, I walked back toward her. Say, excuse me, but would your name be Helen? Oh, that's a novel approach, isn't it? Should I go back and try it over with Irene or Penelope? <laughs> What's the difference? It ends the same way. Can I play something for you? This one suits me. If I can talk to you through it. Can't for the life of me see what we'd have to talk about. Maybe some other time we can get around to that. But I ran into an old mate of mine yesterday. He mentioned this place, and you know I'd like to locate him. His name is Dave Malone. Do you know him? Malone? Sure he said he knew me? Yeah, I thought so, but... Maybe he was just hoping, huh? Yeah. I'm afraid that must have been it, because I don't know any Dave Malone. Yeah, well, it was one of those things. He mentioned your name, so I thought I'd give it a try, but I'll coast around. Maybe... I'll come back on my own sometime. I hope you do. I'll be here. Wear that dress, will you? (laughs) 
I had another drink at the bar and kept my eyes off her just enough to catch her looking at me with more than a professional look once or twice. She did go off guard right after I threw Malone's name at her. I was sure of it. I finished my drink and went out the door like I had someplace to go. But I stopped right after I got out of range of the windows, counted five, and eased back so I could just look in. She was leaving the platform. And I, along with the good, healthy fisherman, watched her sway that white gown back to the phone booth. It wasn't taking her long to contact somebody about me contacting her. It was just chance so far, but there were Malone, Helen, and 218, the number of the murder room at the Crown Hotel. It could have been coincidence, but there isn't much room on the back of a match folder. Hotel was a narrow brownstone front building squeezed between two more narrow brownstone front buildings. I looked in at the musty lobby. It was empty. I tried the door once to see if it was going to ring a bell someplace. When nobody showed up, I went in. There was a dingy brown hunting scene hung on one wall and a dingy brown smell of bad ventilation hanging over everything. There was an immodest calendar from a Reno gambling club wasting its time behind the desk. And a register book that had seen more lies than Munchaus. And I flipped the pages back to the day before. Found room 218. It was registered to one John Smith. Then, just on impulse, I flipped back to the current date and found myself on top of the whole mess. Sprawled in an awkward hand against room 218 was the single name Gallagher. in the name Gallagher. All I needed to keep me going up those stairs. All I had to remember to enjoy bringing that 45 out of my shoulder holster was the picture of that wide grin and those gray eyes. I'd have gone through that door even if it hadn't have been unlocked. Well, Skipper, come on in. I'm in, brother. What's all the hardware for, Skipper? Why are you always aching for a beef when you and I run into one another? Let's stow that warm friendship, shall we? Let's you do a little talking that you mean for a while. I never say anything I don't mean, Skipper. You'll learn that when you know me better. That's what I'm here for, Gallagher. So start saying something you mean. Sure. Why do you think I took this room if I wasn't sure you'd be bullying around this neighborhood tonight? What interests me most is that you did. I knew you'd like it, Skipper. I know you've got to have Malone's murderer before you can clear San Francisco, and I can give him to you. They call him Mr. Fox. He's working for Constantino. If you didn't know that before, you know it now. Who's Constantine? You're being cagey, Skipper, and that's all right. You don't know what to say because you don't know how much I know. I don't know how much you know, so we're even, right? You're talking. The fox didn't learn what he wanted to learn from Malone. He tried too hard. So he paid me two grand to sign on with you. I was supposed to find out what part of the Southern Oceans you were making for, and the payoff was going to be a grand a month. But just keeping the finger on you and waiting to be contacted. It was an easy deal. Somebody in your family must have been born with shark fins not too far back. There was supposed to be a great uncle under the Jolly Roger skipper, but <laughs> no fins yet. But I got reasons. I'm telling you this because if they'd pay off like that for just a line on you, I figure the real dough is going to be made on your side. You've got a hold of something big. I still want to ship with you, but for you. Well, I'm a dirty... St- I'm telling you, Gallagher, for the price of the queen, I can't tell you who's crazy in this room. Nobody is, Skipper. You're going to be ahead, too. Believe me, you are. I can help you clear up the mess here in Frisco. I'll put you next to the fox and his mermaid. Huh? 
Her name Helen? How'd you get that? She isn't hard to find. Well, uh, that's right, Helen Curran. She led Malone to this room with a smile and a promise. Yeah. Neither one would look good from her. I know I was there. She's seen you? Did you tell her who you were? Are you nuts? Then it'll work. Listen. But tonight, you're the chief mate of the Scarlet Queen. You beat me out of the berth. If you'll go for that story, I'll get you Malone's killers. Or put me on a morgue slab for another two grand. I trust you like I trust a compass at the North Pole. <laughs> It'll take you a month to get him without me, Skipper. With you under homicide's third degree? <laughs> Even then. Now, here's my deal, and we both make headway. I get the mate's berth, and you get your port clearance. But we gotta have a bait. That's you. And we gotta have somebody who can put it in the right place. That's me. <laughs> you got the 45. Take a gamble, Skipper. I'll show you how it works. It was about a quarter of 11 when I pulled my left ear for luck the last time, followed them down to the lobby, took my last look at that Reno calendar. Gallagher looked like he was enjoying putting me on the block, and the only reason I could dream up for playing sucker was the idea that as long as I kept the line on him, I was at least secure to something. He squeezed me into the phone booth with him when he put the bait on the hook. He held the receiver so I could get my ear into it, too, and called Helen Curran at the Gorgonio. Hello, baby. This is Red. Oh, it's about time. I thought you were coming in. And something came up. Did you get the gardenia? Sure. Sure, I'm wearing it right now. When can I show you how much I like it? Don't talk like that when I'm so far away. Listen, things got foul tonight, but I think they'll work out anyway. What happened, Red? I missed that mate's birth by about 15 minutes. A guy by the name of Pritchard beat me to it. Oh, Red, the fox isn't going to like this. I think he will. Did a guy come in there tonight looking for Dave Malone? Yeah. Why, Red? That was Pritchard. And he's got the information we want. That sounds funny, Red. How'd you get all this? He stuck his head in a bar where I was, and I recognized him. He knows where they're headed. I could have maybe pumped him for it, but uh, I thought it'd be better if you and the fox were in on it, too. Yeah. Where is he? On his way back to the Gorgonio to see you. He's big. So i better tag along for the party, don't you think? Maybe in your apartment later, if you can get him there. <laughs> and I think you can. All right, Red. Give me a half hour to get through to the Fox and call me back. I'll let you know where he'll pick you up, okay? Yeah, but, uh, baby, take it easy till I get there. I don't want that gardenia crushed on anybody's shoulder but mine. Helen Curran knew her business. She didn't go overboard selling herself, but like nature taking its course, she and the white gown and I got into a cab after closing time. Her apartment was in the Buell Arms on Russian Hill. It was a little overdone in modernizing a setup that was dull mid-Victorian a few years back. Light walls with Venetian blinds, some flamingos and parakeets flying through verdant jungles and framed before they started. And the bedroom to the right that she went into saying something about something comfy. When she came back, I saw clearly that she went for off-the-shoulder hostess gowns, too. There now. I feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the matter with me, anyway? Is there something? I always seem to stir the wrong approach in you. Or are you just shy? With you, you don't need an approach. You just move naturally. 
You aren't shy at all, are you? You're just overconfident. You've been spoiled by women. It's never hurt me. But then it's not very often as appealing as your brand. Do you think I'll spoil you? Uh-uh. But I wonder if you'd hurt me. Not even if I could, and I'd... Hey, wait a minute. Oh, I couldn't hurt you if I wanted to, could I? I don't know, but from where I sit, who cares? Like I said, she knew her business. And I had to keep remembering that it wasn't all crushed gardenias tonight. We finally did get around to a drink out of a rattan-covered bottle, and I could tell by the heavy-lidded look she gave me over her glass that I was supposed to be a complete victim and as meek as a kitten with a full belly. She knew her business. But knowing that she knew her business, I went along with the kitten act. But I was as ready as a tiger when Gallagher opened the door. But I wasn't ready for the man he brought with him. It was Funston. L.B. Funston, still looking through the rimless glasses, but now his eyes were steely hard and it only took one deep breath to realize that he was the fox. He had a small caliber gun out of an inside pocket faster than I could get my breath. Wait a minute, Gallagher. This man's name is not Richard Fox. What do you mean? I know it. Something went wrong. This guy's Phil Connie, the master of the Scarlet Queen. I was sitting on the couch and after a sellout like that, there was no use standing up. Helen left me like I'd broken out with the purple pox, and Gallagher still stood behind Funston looking at me with that grin. Red! Red, he's the one who was in to see me earlier. Never mind, Helen. He isn't the guy I talked to. Never mind, I said. You are an impulsive man, Carney. I'm a little surprised at you, too, Funston. What are you doing here? I like a game of bridge as well as the next guy. You play a stupid game. You should remember that your Red Queen is not the top of the suit. She'll do. She'll never win a trick. You'll never use her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. But you're bluffing, Funston. Ah. Uh-huh. Either that or you're double-crossing Constantino and talking for yourself. Fighting to stay clear of Malone's murder. I want more than talk. You're still bluffing. You don't want to hurt me because with me out of the way, Constantino's octopus would have nothing to follow. Wise up. You don't scare me. I'm too valuable. All right. I'll pay you $25,000 for the destination of your Scarlet Queen. I can't hear you. There are other methods, Carney. Now you're bluffing again. You'd never get it that way either. And what did Constantino say if you laid me next to Malone? That's something I'll have to find out. At the moment, that looks better than arrest for murder. Stand up, Carney. You're really on a spot, Funston. You're even getting the double cross from your own people in this room. Now, who's bluffing, Carney? I mean, you're getting it from Gallagher. He knew who I was tonight. Gallagher! Skipper, why you... do you have to rush? Hey! Oh. I'm all right, Skipper. I'll take him. Watch the money. I raced her across the room to a table. She had a drawer open and a nickel-plated revolver half out of it by the time I grabbed her. Drop it! Drop it! Let go of I said drop it! Oh. Right, calm down, sister. Get over there and calm down! by the arm and tossed her across the room and had that 45 out before she landed. I twisted a look at Funston. Gallagher had hit him hard enough to keep him from opening until Christmas. He was tangled up with a throw rug and not thinking about a thing. Oh, well, Skipper. There's your port clearance and my chief mate's birth spread all over the room. Yeah. Now, what the devil was the idea of you leaving me to shake hands with that gun of Funston for so long? I had to do it, Skipper, to keep him off guard. He knew our story was fishy before I got him up here. He knew? Yeah. He knew you hadn't signed on the chief mate. He had good spies. Where'd he find that out? He got it by being the honest banker. Eager to play along with the police. He kept in touch with your friend at Homicide, Kessel. 
Yeah. I know that Kessel was a good man. <laughs> but we're a great team, Skipper. We're standing up and they're laying down. But Constantino isn't with them. We'll hear from him again. Keep an eye on him, will you? I got a proud call to make to Homicide. By two the next afternoon, we cast off from Pier 48 and were headed out. We went through the Golden Gate under power, sitting on the wheel box with a bottle between us. We followed the channel buoys out to the Farallons, picking up that good deep water roll. And the driving westerly started to sing from the rigging. I felt like a man getting his back out of a cast and walking again. The crew perked up, too, and they fell through with a will when Gallagher started falling over. and shook hands with them. They took their stations at the main... Scarlet Queen, 5.30 p.m. Miles traveled 31. Wind brisk. Sky fair. Sea cresting with high cross swell. Mainsail and mizzen reefed. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. That was Voyage of the Scarlet Queen and the Shanghai Secret here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was my pick this week. I'll explain that pick. First, I want to point out that this is episode one of Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. However, there was a pilot episode before this that did not have Elliot Lewis. I think Elliot Lewis 
played Red Gallagher in that. And Howard Duff of Sam Spade fame, uh, who is a pal of Elliot Lewis, played, played Carney. Carney. The captain, yeah. Yeah, not sure why it was changed up, but I like Howard Duff, but I'm sure happy to have Elliot Lewis in the role of Carney. Plus, I really like Ed Max as Gallagher. He's yeah. fabulous. I'm surprised yeah. I haven't heard him more. I looked him up, and he was in a few episodes of Suspense, The Whistler, Let George Do It. Didn't find anything where he was a lead like this. Right. There's a screen test of Perry Mason, uh, Paul, the private detective, that he was Perry Mason. Uh, I think might be a pilot, just might be screen test, but whole scenes of him playing Perry Mason. And at some point they went, you know what? I'm going to swap that up. You're going to play Paul and we'll get uh, Raymond Burr. So it's an interesting thing that that happens where sometimes... Those what-if scenarios. Right, yeah. like, I've cast shows where halfway through I've gone, I've made a mistake. <laughs> you should be playing that and you should be playing that and it's too late. Um, so I picked this and here is what not only the listeners don't know, but the boys don't know. I have been talking about Voyage of the Scarlet Queen for a couple of years. Like, I, I want to bring this to the podcast. I want to do it. I've never listened to it. I've never wow. heard it. No, I just wanted to because it said Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and that sounds awesome. You got some Captain Carney bravado there. <laughs> <laughs> right? So when Joshua said, hey, you know, it's your pick, this uh, recording session. Do, do you want to do your Voyage of the Scarlet Queen finally? And I said, yeah, 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 I picked so that. So you can shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, right. So when I listened to this for this podcast, that was the first time I ever listened to it. And you were like, thank you. And I went, thank you, Eric. <laughs> thank you, past Eric. I was hoping for either. Either I could say, I'd never heard it. I'm that, and so that's my sorry. defense. Yeah. Right. And wow, that was terrible. Or I could go, wow, you know, that was really fun. I'm glad I finally got to listen to that. But I've been saving, like it'll come across, like I'm not listening to that, not until I get it on the podcast. So um, I wrote down as I got about halfway through it that I realized this is a private detective on a ship from the dialogue to the pacing to everything. It's like a film noir a movie with a ship. Now, I haven't hit episode two through all 35. I don't think all 35 exist. Oh. Um, sadly, there's some of the story missing in that first 20. No. Um, but no, your assessment is not wrong. It right. does not change tone or style. Except they get more on the shippy than they did in this one. <laughs> this one, they didn't get on the ship yeah. till the end. Well, I mean, each sailing. episode is a new destination on their trip. Cool. Like uh, Love Boat. Who hired <laughs> like him? like Love Boat with more punches. Who hired him and didn't tell him what he was doing? I didn't catch that. The story arc is that Carney was hired by this mysterious figure, Kang, to find this $10 million, $10 million. treasure. And right. he doesn't know exactly what it is, but Kang warned him that there he will face opposition right. in the form of an octopus with a body in an office building in Hong Kong and a brain named Constantino. And his tentacles reach all over the world. Right. And, and so I that's did. the story arc part of it. He keeps running into Constantino's agents right. trying to stop him and or I, find out what's going on with yeah. Kang. I did catch that. Just not as succinctly as you just put it. Somehow I was getting lost, but I knew that he had been hired by somebody uh, to go find this. Now, the other question I had, so Gallagher has been hired by Constantino by Constantino and the operation, right, to uh, follow him around for $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And what he proposes to him, do I have this right, is I'm going to basically 
double agent this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to switch to your side because right. if they're willing to pay me $1,000 a month, there must be way more money on your side. Right. <laughs> but he's going to pretend that he's to them that he's still working for them. Not permanently, but in this episode. Right. Okay. And have you listened to all of these? Not all of them. I've listened to maybe the first eight or ten of them. I'll let you know what I thought of it right now by saying, are they all as good as this one? <laughs> They're all very similar. I like this one a lot. It's a really strong opening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say that it requires some tolerance because it is very masculine. Yeah. It is very misogynistic. Yeah. <laughs> and it has some things that I just don't like. I have just always found it weird, these Sexualization of, of vehicular objects. Oh, I and wanted to leave so, them alone. <laughs> but it's it gets gross because yeah. it gets into like you know a fresh young body, bold teasing, and that stuff has always just grossed no. me out. It was it was it was funny because they would always throw in the one detail like no, that's seventy eight feet long, and like whoa, <laughs> polished wood. Yeah, kind of spoiling the mood. Yeah. <laughs> that opening when he describes the ship, I wrote down, I was getting a little personal. Do you guys want to be left alone? And then when the Gallagher takes the wheel, he's like, I'm married and I'm on my honeymoon and yeah. I'm taking my pants off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they beat it that hard, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets intense, man. I, but then I don't when they're like actually that. having like some steamy talk with, human beings that's pretty steamy yeah now this is a very adult program mm-hmm. as you listen to it it's violent well, it's God, ex- crushed her gardenia <laughs> it's explicitly sexual yeah i mean with flower metaphors but <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that i found really interesting i guess is the way to put it is captain carney is uh really aggressive that's what I love about his performance. He, he doesn't have decorum. He just, just has a hair trigger. Yeah, he's got a hair <laughs> trigger, man. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite part of this entire episode is probably the first 10 minutes when he's immediately confronted by Kessel, the mm-hmm. cop played by um, William Conrad. Yeah, that's right. Which is always fantastic to hear him. But the dialogue in that scene when he's interrogated, starting with the great scene with the... Uh, cop who's getting all the pertinent information from Carney before he's brought in and they're arguing about the tattoo on his shoulder. (laughs) It's a knot, you know, or does somebody else tie your shoelaces? Right. And the line's funny, but how angry (laughs) delivers the line (laughs) is also funny. Oh, the best is Carney's line. Oh, stop. That patience act fits you about like a bare midriff evening gown. Take it off. Get comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Which is a brilliant line, but it's also brilliant because it forced me against my will to imagine William Conrad in a bare <laughs> midriff <laughs> evening gown. Well, to respond, thanks, I will. Help me with this hook. <laughs> After that, I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about the first plot. Uh, I do like that the fox was the banker. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't really see that coming. But not that I'm holding that up as some kind of problem with it, but it is, it's very linear, it's very straightforward. Here's the plot. And uh, really, uh, it's an excuse for confrontation and fights. Mm -hmm. But it's very character oriented, which I like. My my favorite thing in this whole story was Gallagher. Mm -hmm. It was just so much fun to have such an unabashedly gleeful, ambiguous character in a environment that is usually very straightforward. Yeah. 
the, they reminded me of some dynamics like uh, Mal and Jane from Firefly. Mm-hmm. It came to my mind because I'd just been watching The Outsider on HBO. I don't know if either of you guys have no. seen it, but there's a mm-hmm. character in there who was like, this is a really, really bad person who you have a little bit of sympathy for because he might end up being a good person at the end, but he might be a horrible person at the end. And then, Yeah, Gallagher has a lot of that. Yeah. You don't know at the end of this if you should trust him or not. And on the surface, it appears to be an acting choice, and maybe the director is involved too, but to have Elliot Lewis play Carney so easily triggered and angry, yeah. and then to have Gallagher just be so jolly about all the violence and the predicament all the time. He seems so easygoing and chuckling, which just makes Carney angrier because he just shrugs everything off and laughs at it. And It, it feels like a really appealing combination of characters, but also a potentially explosive combination. And he sort of has no guile to him, even though he seems very mysterious. Of like, yeah. Obviously, I came to the most suspicious place I possibly could go, because that's where I know I'd find you. Yeah. Which is both true and it's highly suspicious yeah everything he does makes sense but it is also debatable whether <laughs> um he's doing it for nefarious reasons or for good in our podcast for patreons cliffhangers of doom we are currently doing city of the dead mm-hmm. uh, so if you want to become a patreon and listen to that you should but the reason i bring that up is because city of the dead stars elliot lewis, lewis. And in that podcast, we gave a lot of detail about Elliot Lewis's life. We kind of touched on it in the beginning here. Just an amazingly fascinating career that uh, went on forever, and he was in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's great in everything. And our uh, podcast pal, James Scully, I know, has a number of episodes uh, featuring stuff about Elliot Lewis and old interviews with him. So I highly recommend listeners check that out too for more info and detail on the man and his life that's wall breakers that yes um any other thoughts gentlemen oh so many great lines these writers really have the hard-boiled dialogue down yes pat i'm surprised they didn't do more stuff but there's this great line of describing the hotel uh he goes into uh carney where he says there was an immodest calendar from the marino gambling club wasting its time behind the desk and a register book that had seen more lives than munchausen it's just like it's both tough and hard-boiled but also he has some literary smarts to (laughs) make these comparisons it's just really Great stuff. Mm-hmm. There's just too much to write down. I trust you like I trust a compass at the North Pole. It's just, <laughs> yeah. There's that scene where Gallagher forces him into the phone booth with him <laughs> and then starts talking to her. Talking dirty to the <laughs> And then describes that they are squished together face to face on the phone so he can hear it. So he's saying all of that. That's so true. He's saying, oh, God, don't talk like that. Don't make me all riled up, baby. Because I'm know, pressed up against this guy. <laughs> you know they're face to face. Yeah, you're so right. I, I imagine him, and this isn't going to work on the podcast either, but I just imagine him while he's doing that, just looking at him with these eyes like, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I have to talk dirty to her. <laughs> Otherwise, she'll know. Yeah, so... The scripts just have so much life to them. Like the dialogue and the scenes feel like, yeah, I've seen these type of stories before, but not told with this much vitality. Mm -hmm. You notice the foley of this 
expertly done. Um, for example, on the ship, slight oh, the, creaking. Oh, the creaking. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. it's like Eric's going to love that creaking. <laughs> oh, that creaking. You're, you're going to get tired of it on May whatever. <laughs> There's a show we're doing on stage. It's going to have a lot of creaking. Yes. It's called the Creak of Death. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a show that we're doing in May that has two things. One, creaking because it's on a ship. But also, interestingly, the device of using a log as your narrative. I had never heard Scarlet Queen, and yet that was my narrative device for... I'm caught up now. The book, the log. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. The Not captain's a log. Tree. Yes. The, the ship's log, yes. But I used that for the one I wrote, like, oh, this would be a great narrative device. And when I listened to this, I went, oh, that's a trope. I wrote a trope. But you know what? It moves it along. You got to have some way to tell the story, and there's only, what, six ways, right? Narration... Ship's log, and narration. More. <laughs> <laughs> and Shouting. Shouting. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, what other things? Uh, I could break down any scene and say that was really lovely to, to watch or... <clears throat> But you say watch because it was my, that vivid. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just accidentally gave this a very high compliment. Yeah. I see it. And I liked uh, the actor who played Mr. Fox, whose voice I recognized. I'm sure uh, some more hardcore nerds out there who could tell me exactly who played Mr. Fox. But I like the change in tone. It's, he still has the little small voice, but it turns mean once he's revealed as Constantino's man. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like it. Before I actually heard this episode, and I just knew Voyage of the Scarlet Queen... I was thinking this was like a period piece in some more pirate genre because I'm fascinated by the fact that there's sort of genres that once were very popular, which really don't, with a few exceptions, haven't survived, pirates being one of them. So it was interesting, like, oh, this is a contemporary pirate sort of story. Because Gallagher mentions he has some pirates in his ancestry. Yeah, well, it's, you know, high seas adventure, even though not here, mixed with hard-boiled, so it's... It was very fun to sort of uh, discover that hybrid genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we vote? Yeah. Okay. Let's vote. Uh, since I brought it to the table and I'd never heard it before, I love it. I think it's uh, really well done, written, acted, performed. I absolutely think it stands the test of time, especially if you look at it from a hard-boiled uh, noir kind of angle. I'm not going to say classic because I want to hear the rest of them to see how this one stands against the rest of the Scarlet Queens. So classic in the sense of how old-time radio should sound and what it should do, yeah. To me, this is old-time radio at its yeah. best. This is what I'm looking for when I listen. I would call this a classic. I mean, it's so well-performed and written, and that aspect of it is this great launching point for a larger story arc that I absolutely, I want to know what happens to these guys in this story, and it's great adventure and noir combined. Tell me that the final one exists so that we know what the $10 million is. I don't is. know that. I reached the end of my strength for research <laughs> and just stop must keep googling <laughs> well i am gonna call this a classic this is an amazing opening episode of a series yeah it has such confidence it has such vitality is the word that keeps coming to me like it isn't a like mm, maybe we'll like this better as it goes this is sort of wow blow you away first episode you feel like the writers know exactly what they want to do. 
exactly who these characters are. I would say to me, having listened to more, the weakness of it as an ongoing story is, if I'm honest, there aren't characters to really like other than in a shallow way, because I think Carney and Gallagher are appealing because they're tough and funny, but there's nothing really nice about them. I don't believe when Carney says, I'm sorry, Malone's dead. He was a nice guy. I don't think he really cares. Their main thing they care about is the $10 million treasure and talking dirty to their ship. (laughs) 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 And some of the, just like every time a woman shows up, she is the source of all evil and she's just an impediment to getting back on the ship and talking dirty to it and find that $10 million. (laughs) So I think it's great in small doses and a classic standalone opening episode. Beautiful. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you think. You can comment on episodes. You can link to our social media pages. You can send us a message and tell us what you'd like. Talk dirty to our webpage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to regret that. (laughs) Uh, sorry, I need to recover from that <laughs> invitation. <laughs> um, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and donate money. Don't just talk about donating money <laughs> at the website. Actually push the buttons and do it. We really appreciate it. Um, it does help us be able to continue doing this on a weekly basis. Um, and for all the supporters out there, we thank you so much. I know every week we ask for people to support it. But at the same time, every time another one pops up, I think our general attitude is, what? I can't believe it. (laughs) Someone's giving us money. So uh, it's an amazing thing, and we are very grateful for it. Um, You can also go to iTunes and write a review um, because that is free, and we love it too. And if you want to see us perform old-time radio recreations as originally broadcast with commercials and sound effects, just four people doing all the voices, all the sound effects, you can come see us performing as the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society on stage. Uh, Right now, it's March of 2020, and we are... Uh, firmly embedded in the great Park Square Theater. We will be there for a long time, and we love it there. You should come see us in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and you can go to MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com and find out more about everything that we do. Is all right there. What is next? Next is our 175th episode. <gasps> and we are going to be celebrating that number with multiple listener requests. Uh, We are going to be celebrating Jack Webb's centennial, his 100th birthday, which was a suggestion uh, from a listener with an episode of Dragnet that was a suggestion from a listener. It is called The Big Ruling. Until then... Look out! I'm not married. Yeah, I know, mate. With a scarlet queen, the bigamist. Oh, better let me take the wheel then. We gotta have a honeymoon sometime. Sure, take over. Yeah. Hey, she's got spirit. What a She's gonna make what a honeymoon.